All right, if you've listened this far, you know the deal. The book that came out of this podcast is called How the Internet Happened, From Netscape to the iPhone by me, available wherever fine books are sold. Also, the podcast I do these days is called The Tech Meme Ride Home. Search any podcast app for Ride Home, and you should find The Tech Meme Ride Home, which is all the day's tech news every weekday in just 15 minutes. If you like this show, you'll love that one. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. Today we're going to be talking to Alexander Tatik. Alex was a founding engineer of both Mosaic and Netscape, so he'll be able to give us some great behind-the-scenes stories about working on both of those projects. Quick reminder, if you enjoy these interviews and want to give us a hand, all we really need you to do is go to iTunes and leave a review. really helps us out. And now, here's Alex Tatik. Today we're talking with uh, Alex Tatik. Alex, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast. Well, thank you. So, uh, my first question is always the, the, the most basic one. You were, um, you were born in uh, Belgrade and what was the former Yugoslavia, correct? Yes. And um, I think that you you were you were you were schooled around the world. I think you went to school in Kuwait. Is that correct? Yes, uh, British high school in Kuwait. So uh, when did you come to the U.S.? I came to U.S. in uh, 1984 uh, because Yugoslavs would not accept my British high school diploma. I had to pick between some English-speaking countries, and I thought Britain was too small. So I came to U.S. And I was clueless. You, uh, yeah, I heard that you, you ended up in upstate New York, and you thought that that was right outside of New York City. Yes, I didn't realize how far away I was until uh, we tried to get, go there by subway. So you, went, you ended up going to college first uh, at B.C. in Boston? Actually, it was San Bonaventure, upstate New York. Mm-hmm. It was my New York City destination. Then I realized what a mistake I made. I asked my friends, what was the most European city in the United States? My friend said Boston, so I applied to Boston College. And that's how I ended up at Boston College. And is your are you doing computer science? What what was your degree? Oh yeah, yeah. I fell in love. Well, basically, I started computers in Kuwait because once when I moved there, uh, I was uh, I was a junior in high school, and uh, I 
did not speak English very well. And I was also trapped at home 24-7, except for the bus that took me and from high school. So I asked my parents to buy me a computer that I saw at school and I loved, and uh, that that was it. Uh, did it happen to be a Mac? No, 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 that was too early. It was the Commodore 64. Okay. Uh, I started coding, and I was like, I know, now I know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. So how did you pick up the name Mac Daddy then? Oh, because um, when I was at BC, I started, I, I, actually, I saw Macintosh in Kuwait for the first time, but it was just too unaffordable. But when I was at BC, it was, a, you know, part of the Apple college program. So we had Mac, so I got a Mac and started coding the Mac. And uh, that's how I got my first job. And that's how I got a job at NCSA, too. So, right. you know, so all thanks to Macintoshes. So uh, you do your your graduate school is uh, University of Illinois, and yes. so how how did you come to get the job at the NCSA? Uh, well, I was not accepted on a scholarship, so I had to work to pay for my school. And the NCSA had a great research assistantship um, that they asked me to do, so I I joined them. I, I it was really not a research assistantship; it was more like coding on demand. We were just hackers. They had a lot of interesting projects to work on. Do you remember what you were working on at the time? Oh, I think it was called Polyfacet, which was, I, I can't quite remember. There were several projects I was on, but it, it was some kind of a 3D stuff on the Mac, mesh modeling, mm -hmm. something like that. Visualization programs. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, NCSA was heaven. They had all the toys. You know, from thinking machines to Craze to Macs to beautiful network, it was it was awesome, uh, including you know obviously uh, super fast hookup to the internet. Do you remember uh, when you first encountered the web at all? Uh, well, I first encountered the web. I actually don't remember the exact time. Uh, well, we lit. We, being at NTFA, you were already on email. You were reading news. So we were on the web before there was the web, right? right. And then uh, Mark comes up and he's like, hey, I got this cool new toy. Check it out. And uh, that's, uh, that's kind of like how we first encountered the web. Do you remember uh, hearing for the first time about the Mosaic project at all? Well, yeah. Um, I was uh, I, I, I was one of the kind of like, you know, hacker guy. I wouldn't call it hacker, whatever. The guys who knew how to code. So, uh, and th there weren't too many of us, but uh, we mostly lived in, in the basement of NTSA. And we coded a lot. And we always hung out together, you know, talking about coding mostly. Mm -hmm. And uh, so how did I hear about it? So we were, we're I think... Uh, at that point in time, one of the projects finished and Mark was looking for the next thing that he wanted to work on and he found the web. So, of course, he told us. So it kind of spread through the basement pretty fast. So he, Mark and, and Eric Bina do do their, their browser on, on X window first, right? So when, when are you approached to start working on, on a Mac port? Well, I think uh, very soon... 
after the after X browser was released, they said, "Hey, it would be really cool if this ran on everything." So, as I was the best Mac guy around, um, I got I and I was hanging out with these guys. I started working on it. It was me, and that's how I became the Mac Daddy. So there, there really wasn't any sort of you know. Uh assigning of duties or anything it's just everybody no 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 this was basically a bunch of guys sitting in front of their computers all day long thinking stuff up and it's not and so it's it's just these ideas come out of your interests and so again it wasn't like well well, ncsa had a mission they had projects that we had to work on and all that stuff but Mm -hmm. uh you know, the the cool thing is uh, their mission was very well, uh, you know, it was like science and communication and this and that. So NTSA's mission was very well aligned with what Mosaic was going to do. Um, when Mark discovered Mosaic, I mean, when Mark started the Mosaic project, I think we just finished one of the other projects. I forgot its name. So there was really nothing on his plate. So Mosaic was discovered because he was looking for the next thing to do. So what was it like when when Mosaic blows up, when all of a sudden, you know, this is, you know, the the, the Internet's still young, well, the web especially is still young, but it suddenly becomes, you know, the, the hottest thing around for, for people that are on the web. Well, uh, well, I mean, the web was not that big. Uh, it, it, okay. So there, there are several interesting things. Uh, one is working with Mark was in those days was pretty awesome. So we got really excited about this project right away, right? Uh, it was it was obvious that if it worked, it was going to be big. We were like, oh, there could be newspapers on the net, and all you know, all this information can be out there for everyone. How phenomenal would that be? Now, at the same time, it was not entirely obvious that that, that was what's going to happen because the rest of the world saw it very differently. They saw a whole bunch of closed networks, such as AOL, CompuServe. I think Microsoft had their own Microsoft MSN. So what the rest of the computer industry was thinking about at that time was a whole bunch of closed networks. As, and it, initially, the web was mostly colleges. And almost every web address you went to was .edu. Right. Right. Uh, so it was not obvious that, you know, how big it was going to get. But it was definitely growing at a very fast pace. Um, there were more and more users all the time. Um, it, it was really exciting. The coolest thing early on was uh, when we knew that we were on a threshold of something big was uh, when New York Times published their first article about the web by John Markoff. Right, it was on the front page. It was. I think it was on the front page. And the phone system crashed. There were so many people calling in that um, basically all the long-distance lines into, like, or banish and pain or whatever. Wherever mm-hmm. we were, mm-hmm. nobody could get through anymore. So at that point, we were like, "Wow, this is cool." So how does how does <coughs> the NCSA um, how do they feel about this project taking off? I mean, you know, I'm I'm kind of skipping ahead here to 
okay you guys to you guys leaving for netscape but i'm curious because you know a, a huge portion of this team does end up leaving. Is it because that there's some sort of friction with the NCSA? Has well, this gotten okay. so big so fast, or what happens there? So we ha- we were very lucky. I think there were about six of us on the original team, and we kind of got the web. We got the meaning of what it was going to be, and we were all very much on the same page. Mm-hmm. So we had this very strong – we were very good coders, we, we programmed all, we lived, lived and breathed code mm-hmm. in that basement. Uh, Mark was there all the, we were all just living there mm-hmm. 24-7. And the cool, th- actually the web, when it started, it was actually highly addictive. Because for the first time you released something, you had all these users. And the cool thing was, was that the users were around the world. So nowadays it's kind of commonplace, but over that back then it's like you would be working and the your US users are going to sleep, but uh, then you work alone for a little while and then boom you have like all these emails with your European users that are just waking up. Mm-hmm. So you you were just running on adrenaline all the time because there was so much stuff to do and well and so, also when you push out a new feature you can get feedback instantaneously. Oh, the feedback was instant. And all this stuff, you know, is taken for granted now. Back then, it was completely revolutionary. Back then, you used to ship software on CD-ROMs. Right. So it was uh, it, it, it was quite a rush. And the, the funniest, I mean, the coolest part early on was that, you know, Mark was the X guy. All the communication went directly to him. I was the Mac guy. Anybody having anything to do with the Mac browser, any bug, I would be responding to them personally. Mm-hmm. And the same was true for the Windows team. So there was this really intimate, crazy thing where there's, you know, tons of people talking to you and you're just one guy right there doing stuff. Right. And uh, you ship it, you know, fast. Anyway, today it's all quite common. Back then sure. it was insane. Um, oh, so so what happens is we have this project that becomes insanely popular. Mm-hmm. At the same time, this project has not, you know, NCSA is the kind of government research lab. I'm not sure if it's government. It's a research lab that gets a lot of its funding from the government, the university. Right, and all. right. And the... This uh, this project was not part of uh, any particular grant. It was kind of originally budgeted out of the general budget. So there there was no money coming in because of it. Of course, as soon as it got successful, that was going to change. Right. So uh, instead of the original six hacker structures, now the the grown ups are coming in and saying, you know, we we need to run this as a serious project. You know, we get some help. There is some cool stuff. We get the Colleen, who is like a really cool UI person. So we get a really cool new spinning globe. Mm-hmm. And this and that. But then at the same time, you have a lot of people who have very different agendas and very different visions of what the web is going to be like. For example, one of the early ideas by higher-ups was that we should track everybody and send that data back to NCSA because this is going to be the world's greatest social study project. Mm-hmm. So they were thinking of it as, as a research project. Well, it was a research project. I mean, even even, even Mosaic itself was right. a research project, but it, their, their vision, we were like, that is insane. You can't do that. Right. 
Because you guys have this completely different vision that's so much broader than that. Exactly. We're like, you know, this is just the web. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, there are all these other interesting things that we need to get done. We need images, we need multimedia, we need, you know, whatever. A million different extensions that need to get done. And this guy is like bugging us with some social research project. We don't like that. The problem is now we're starting to get bogged bogged down, so so it becomes a fight of who is going to determine the future of Mosaic. Now there's business interest involved. People want to license it, this and that, and with the licensees, they would like you to implement a particular feature or work on that their their path platform. So you're starting to get into all you're starting to all these decisions about what the six of us are going to oh and also there's other people coming in and starting to code with us and they're not quite on the same fanatic level we are for example um from you know it's we were we were very good and nowadays I kind of feel a little bit more charitable to, toward my coworkers at that mm. time but at that time, uh, what I was thinking was, you know, who are these people coming in and, like, ruining all my code? Right. I think there's a quote that in one of the books that someone says that, that, you know, you had basically done the Mac version yourself, and then all of a sudden there's all these new people assigned to you. And Yes. Well, they're not assigned to me. They're my bosses. Oh, even worse. Well, no, it's not worse. I mean, it doesn't. It's you know, it's a collaborative relationship. But they've decided that Apple has just come up with a new voice recognition framework, so we're going to add voice recognition to the web, and also make an even prettier spinning icon. I remember my first release, my first big release, 1.0, was I had to release another thing right away because. That new pretty spinning icon, it was leaking an icon every time it span. <laughs> so if you started a long download, by the time you're done with the download, you'd be out of memory. <laughs> and that change went in, you know, two days before the release over my big objections. And anyway, so, so it's that kind of stuff. We were used to this insanely fast pace because we were all on the same page. We had a clear vision and we were just going flat out. And suddenly you have bureaucracy coming in. Chris Wilson described it that it was just personality conflicts, basically. Yeah, well, I, I, personality and the whole thing is like we have this one vision of the web, and then and our vision is just like the pure internet. Like we just want, you know, we just want the the browser. That's the thing. And I think the other people's visions were were different. They want something for NCSA. They want something for their company. Our vision is just like, we just want it. This is just awesome. So at some point, uh, Mark Andreessen uh, heads out to California. And do you recall um, how how you heard that he was coming back? I'm I'm referring now to the trip that Mark and Jim Clark make back, oh, yeah, to, yeah. back to Illinois to, yeah. to, to recruit you guys. Yeah, so Mark goes to California and he starts working at EIT, which is some kind of a server web company. And we were all really sad because working with Mark is amazing. He was the leader. He was the natural leader. And we miss him. Now, he was there. He was actually like the voice that would always stand up to power. 
Hmm. At NTSA, he just wouldn't, you know, there, there was no one. He, he was a very strong advocate for what we wanted. Uh, without him, we're still doing pretty good coding work, but we can't push as fast as we want. It's, it's more like now we've just become programmers. Before, we were more like a team on a mission. And Mark goes to California, and he's no longer working on Mosaic. And we're all very sad about this development because we're like, Mark, how can you leave this? Mm-hmm. But we understand. Um, he, he, he had to leave, and if he couldn't leave at NTSA, he had to leave. And being, he just graduated. He graduated uh, that January. I, I, I got my master's. He got his uh, undergrad degree. Mm-hmm. And so he did leave, came to California. Anyway, so we kept in touch. And uh, then he, I think he talked to us. He told us that he met Jim Clark. He was very excited about it. And then, I don't know, one thing led to another. And he said, you know, we are not going to do Nintendo Network. I think we're gonna do the mother- we're going to do the web. So they flew in. It was phenomenal. We got to meet Lou Montuli. We got to meet Lou Montuli. Um, Jim Clark came in. We really didn't know much about Jim Clark, but we trusted Mark. He gave us all these papers to sign. And- we just met him for one night. Next morning, we all walked in and quit, and we said we're going. To, we're going with Mark. And uh, that there... was on Thursday. On Saturday, we were in California picking out apartments, and a week later, we moved out here. That's amazing. And there was there was no hesitation at all. You just knew right away that this was this was what you wanted to do. Well, we wanted to work on you know we wanted the web, the mosaic, the browser, and Mark was the best guy to do it. Did you, did you make T-shirts or something that everyone signed at when, when? I did. I I may actually made T-shirts. I got. Uh, I I knew that I kind of had a feeling that was coming, so I made a T-shirt to comm- commemorate the occasion. Uh, I got the girl who made our spinning icon, Colleen, to give us the original graphics. So we printed these big T-shirts and everybody signed them. Mm-hmm. And I I have also seen the picture on I think it was your website. Uh, where you, you you have the picture on the whiteboard of you're all heading off, you're packing up the truck and you're moving to Mountain View. <laughs> yes. Oh, by the way, on that website, did you see that webpage of the Mark Andreessen? This is Global Hypermedia. Mm-mm. Oh, oh the video. No, 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 there, no. There, there, there is one of the early webpages when Mark demos the web. Okay. It's awesome. Uh, basically, he has these little sound icons, and then he speaks the web page out. And what is global hypermedia? Hmm. Uh, uh, no, I'll I'll look for that, and I'll put a link in the in the show notes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's great. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, "What's your secret?" Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind. 
with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So, so now you're out in California, and is, is it back to, the band's all back together, so is the working environment back to, to how you liked it now? You're all, you're all working in the same direction, you're working fast, you all have the same vision? Is it, is it what you had hoped for? Yes, well... Now, well, our our vision has changed slightly, right? By this time, the stuff we worked on, Mosaic, uh, was pretty entrenched. I mean, everybody loved Mosaic. Everybody used Mosaic. And here we are out there in California, and we're like, will we ever be able to to beat, beat ourselves? We're basically racing against ourselves. And we're like, yeah, but it's going to take some time. And, you know, they, they, you know, they might pull something together and, it could be a real competition for a while. So we come down here and uh, actually an interesting thing is about coming to California. Mm-hmm. So um, I would class, um, what, what, what might be relevant to the kids today is that back then being a geek was very different from today. It was, a, well, I don't think it's glamorous today, mm-hmm. but it's not weird. Right. Back then, it was definitely weird being... It, you felt weird being a geek. I mean, you it was not common. And, uh, you know, we were all misfits of one, one way or another. And so we come to California, and it's like, it's, it's like Mecca. You're just driving 101, and there is Sun, there is SGI, there is Oracle. And, you know, there is fries where you can walk in and buy all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. There is all, it, it, it was, it was mind blowing. It was beautiful. I was like, I felt like I've come home. So anyway, we come in and uh, we don't know anyone around here. Everybody moves, you know, within five minutes drive of an office and we just start working. Oh, we're back together. We, we have the same vision. But now we also have the Jim Clark and the backing, like the other stuff is going to happen to back us up and mm-hmm. will hinder us. So it's kind of cool. We're very excited. Well, and, and, and now you can now you can do it properly, right? Before before yeah, this well, was just and, a Lark project, but now you can now you can really do it the right well, way. Well, you know what? A- Any time you code something for the second time, it's a lot easier, and you mm-hmm. can. You can do it a lot better. And we have Lumen Tooling, who is awesome. And, and we have Ari, and there's like all these other super pe- cool people that we've known about coming. Uh, so uh, an interesting thing was that when we were doing Mosaic, we went to the first World Wide Web conference. There were 30 people there total. Mm-hmm. So that's how small the original web was. It was like everybody who was anybody who was coding anything was in that room of 30 people. And, uh, you know, when the Netscape started within months, half of those people are going to be working with us. Mm-hmm. Like everybody who kind of had the same vision we did. Right. Which was great. 
And uh, also we had no social lives of any kind, so we just kind of lived in, oh, and we have something to prove. We have to kill Mosaic. Yeah, so, that, that leads to to the birth Mozilla. of Mozilla, yes. Mosaic killer. Mozilla. Who was the person that, that uh, came up with that concept or, or drew the Mozilla? Oh, I think, I, I'm pretty sure Jamie drew the Mozilla. Okay. Now, who came up with the name? I think it was Jamie Zawinski, but I'm not exactly sure. Jamie Zawinski, okay. Yeah, but I, I think, I, you know, I don't know. It's been lost. In my mind, I have no idea. I remember it happened, like, while we were walking to lunch one day. But In your memory, though, so it's, you don't have a social life. You don't know anybody out there. So the, the long hours, the long hours and the sleeping under your desk, you guys don't mind that at all at this point. No, no. Well, yeah, that, that's just what we do. What's, what's interesting, it kind of, you know, reflecting upon this, it's like all these things are completely new to us and we are just doing it because, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're working around the clock because that's what we used to do before. And, you know, you have users 24-7. Why not work around the clock? And uh, but now looking at retrospect, it's like four years later, five years later, like the entire valley will be living the same lifestyle. Right. Which is really funny. But those people actually have lives. We really didn't have any lives outside of the office. So of course, we're going to be at the office all the time. I mean, I had no furniture. Why would I ever go home? <laughs> so are you essentially uh, doing it, doing the, the Mac version again or what, what are you working on? Yeah, I'm, the... Working, I, I'm the Mac guy. Okay. Again, same thing, same setup. We have three platforms, except Eric had moved the setup. An X guy, he's now, he's now doing the parser, mm. and we have Luke who's doing the networking. So we have a couple of guys moving to cross platform, and then you have the front end guy. I'm the X. I'm, I mean, I'm the Mac guy. I don't know. Somebody else was the X guy, and. And do you remember uh, when your beta finally launches and you get to see it? get to see the downloads come in and things like that oh absolutely that, that, that was, so before it launches it's just really exciting five or six i mean it was like i don't know how long did it take us like five months and we have all this like really cool new stuff we have wonderful offices it, it was awesome there's people getting hired like the rest of the company seems to be humming too but we're just bat- batting down at our desk it's just really pleasant. We're just working around the clock. So, but we also, you know, are joined by a lot of Silicon Valley veterans from from uh, from uh, from Silicon Graphics and all around the valley, like JG. I think Brendan was there already. I can't remember how early he was. But anyway, uh, so uh, these guys. These guys are a little more savvy. So when we launched, for example, I think JG was the one who hooked it up. He had our FTP server. And uh, when we announced it on WW Talk, uh, we had a different sound effect for a different download. Of, each client got its own sound effect. So there was like a frog, smashed glass, and lightning, I think, for like X, Mac, and Windows. Mm-hmm. So everybody gets into this big dark room. I think we we release somewhere around, I don't know, in the middle of the day or maybe later. And we're all sitting in this room just listening for the sounds. And as soon as our email goes out, like within a minute, there is some guy in Australia trying to download. And you can hear like the smashing glass. 
and you know, then a couple of minutes of silence, and then another croak. Oh, and then there was a cannon. There was a cannon, and then there would be like a cannon, and then it started getting faster and faster. And within like six, or we were all just sitting there drinking beer, just you know, coding a little bit maybe, and just and listening, and like within like five or six hours, there was just the cacophony of like explosions and croaks and lightning and cannons. It was just awesome. Uh, because people were downloading it from all over the world. So we were like, okay, we got something. Everybody loved it. Uh, you've you've kind of touched on this a bit, but I mean, you've you've gone on to work at other startups. I think you went to ePinions with with Lou. Is that yeah, right? yeah. Being as how you know, Netscape was not the first startup in the world, but it was you know the first web startup, and it it sort of did kind of set the template. How do you feel? What was was the was it a different environment than than other startups that you've been involved with? I mean, I guess it was because you're not following any template; you're making it. But what was? How can you compare? How would you compare Netscape to other startups you've worked on? Um. Okay. Oh, so interesting thing. Uh, early on uh, in discussions with Mark over beer and other guys, all the all the mosaic guys. Uh, we at the, at that point when when we got into fights with our management, we were like, you know, this government stuff is really annoying. You, you know, there is people are in position of power mm-hmm. because of what their titles. It's not because of their coding. What would be really cool is just to have a purely commercial company like com dot com dot com. <laughs> <laughs> There, there was like pure meritocracy based and there was none of this government stuff and it would be even cooler if we could just like be on a big boat just sail around the world so that was like one of our day, daydreams mm-hmm. so a little and you know calm, calm was not a common uh, common um, URL back mm-hmm. then right yeah, but so, and you know, and then you fast forward to year 2000 and it's like, com, it, dot com is like everywhere. It's insane. Right, right, right. So anyway, it's like all your dreams have come true. So, okay, so how, how does working at Netscape compare to other startups? Well, I feel that Netscape was like... An, Netscape was like a religious quest. It was, you were changing the world, but but not like changing the world a little bit, like fundamentally. You felt it like in a big way. You're out there to like destroy the existing order in many ways. And that was what the whole company was about. The IPO... um, the press we were getting it was it was kind of incidental that the thing we were building was the thing that was what it was all about it was not about us it was it was like we were all on a mission Netscape was truly a mission um, the other startups I worked on you know they have a bit of a missionary zeal to them but it's not it's a bit more self conscious 
um, you know, we should do this. We should. It's not as crazy. Like we were like religious zealots at Netscape. We we're like internet, the web, browser. This is what who we are. This this is it. Um, the other startups are not quite as insane. Not not quite so zealot like about who they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes you know, like they'll you know they'll make desks out of doors because some other startup made desks. And that mm-hmm. was also very organic, as I said, because we didn't really have any templates. So everything we did was just because I don't know we didn't know anything else. Right. There were no other options. I mean, there was no internet then to, you know, Google everything before. Right. And kind of do any research. So we were just kind of at, taking a stab at it. And what, what I like about it, I think we a lot of the choices that were made then were the right ones, like the JavaScript, the CSS, and all that stuff. It's a whole bunch of technology that's still in use today. Mm-hmm. And even Mozilla still lives. Uh so it is uh, exa- so that we kind of felt that these were like the things that we're fighting for it. So we were just fighting for the technology for what we believed in. SSL too. Although I don't know about the whole certificate chain, but uh, do you have any uh, particular memories of of the IPO at all? Um. I've heard from other guys that it wasn't really that big a deal at the time. Like, yeah, you know, it's just yeah, a regular working day. It was not. It was not what that was all about. Uh, not in the engineering. I think was a bigger deal in some other parts of the company. But the engineering, I think, I think I slept through the IPO itself. But because my usual work hours were till about four or five a.m., then I would go back, sleep till like ten, then I'd come into the office. Uh, so I just walked, stumbled into the office as usual, and everybody was kind of like hopping around saying, hey, look, we went public, you know, made some money, mm-hmm. great. Stock is up, and then we went back to work. But it, it was great. You know You know what? I At the time, I didn't appreciate it. Where the money really came in handy is, you know, after Netscape blew up. Right. It's like, well, everything blew up, but at least I got some cash. To figure things out. So, to to that, um, are were you guys aware right away? You know, it's not you guys don't get to bask in it too long before Microsoft starts to come after you. Was there a sense of competition between you guys and you know when when Internet Explorer comes out and and you're you know trying to compete feature for feature and things like that? I don't think that we got beaten on a feature by feature thing because, yeah, I, I mean, uh, the the hard part about the fight with Microsoft, it was not just a technical fight, right? Right. They, they paid other people. My, my biggest, my personal humongous disappointment was, so I've always been a Mac guy, although everybody laughed at me. Mm-hmm. Like the whole Mac Daddy, that was not a cool thing at Netscape. Everybody's like, why are you working on that crappy little computer with no virtual memory? Like, I was the only one who had to worry about running out of memory because everybody else had virtual memory. No, not the Macs. So we had to write our own socket libraries and all that. So Macs were not exactly, you know, um, popular hacker computers there. But I loved the Mac. I loved the UI, all that stuff. And then when Mac 
Um, and I knew Net- Netscape was the best browser on the Mac. And then, you know, Apple decided to ship Internet Explorer with the Mac because Microsoft gave them like a $100 million investment. Mm-hmm. And so th- that was kind of like the stuff we were fighting. It was not purely technical. Um, so for, you know, we kept up and technically, you know, we were pretty good, but the Microsoft guys have shipped stuff for, for the longest time. And I think they were developing like three versions of the browser simultaneously, uh, as opposed to us who were working on one and really didn't have a time for good. So we, we made some technical mistakes here and there, but the fight was really lost. In the biz, in Microsoft kind of business assault, cutting off our air supply, um, making you know making the price of the browser zero, um, and even paying people to take our browsers. I mean, to take their browser instead of if people were willing to pay us to ship ours, but they would say, "Look, not only will we give you ours for free, but we'll we'll actually give you money to ship ours." So they cut off our air supply. So that's how the fight was lost. When I when I spoke to Lou Montuli, he said that for many years he was he was bitter about that whole experience. You know, time has maybe healed things a bit. But did did you feel the same way? Were you were you bitter about how things turned out vis-a-vis Microsoft? You know what I was really bitter about is being sold to AOL. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, Microsoft, a worthy opponent. Yes, did they fight fair? No, they did not. But, you know, losing to Microsoft, you know, I don't mind. I mean, I do mind. I hate them, but it's understandable. Now, being in a market where Netscape is going to be, got sold to AOL, that was just depressing. I mean, that was the, that was the time I quit. I think uh, my last day at Netscape was the AOL acquisition announcement. Hmm. That was the saddest day. Well, I, I don't want to don't want to wrap things up on that note. Let me let me dial back real quick and ask you about um, Mark Andreessen at Netscape. Um, is did, did did he? I can't really tell you much of Mark at Netscape because I rarely saw him. That's what Lou said too. Yeah, um, Mark Mark was already on a different level. We, he had moved away from coding into the executive suite, and Mark never looks back. And uh, what what was your impressions of working with Jim Clark? Yeah, exactly. Well, Jim Clark was part of the executive suite. Mm-hmm. We were part of the executive suite. I, I, we just all had dinner, like our 20th anniversary dinner last week. Mm-hmm. I adore Jim Clark. Mm-hmm. I wish I got to work with him more. Um, but um, I've never really worked closely with him. So you wanted some nerd detail, but well, Mark, although he didn't code, when he did code, he was awesome. One thing he did do in Mosaic that nobody ever appreciated, but it was really hard. There was this weird protocol called Wave that is long gone. Uh-huh. It was a search protocol. Anyway, it it was uh, it was like as ugly as LDAP is, something people might be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and there was like this one library in the world that actually spoke Wave because once, you know, it was one of those things. You write it once and you never want to write that code again. But it didn't work. It was not interruptible. And Mark, I think, spent, oh, I don't know, several weeks and 
hacking on this horrible, horrible piece of code, then he made the world's first interruptible waste library hmm. because he couldn't stand it when you click the waste URL, you could not interrupt it if the server was down. Mm-hmm. So he had, he had a programmer chops back when he worked on Mosaic. Once we moved to Netscape, he never saw the code again. Jim, on the other hand, I heard, always tries to code a little bit. Like when he did his yachts, he thought, tried putting some code in and stuff. Right, right. Yeah. That's interesting. So one thing, I mean, this is the stuff I'm thinking about these days. It might not be super interesting. But for me, I'm not used to be in a winning position. Mm-hmm. I come from a long tradition of geeks where, you know, you're just not, I mean, you're not the winner. You're the guy who's really technical and all that. But it's really weird to see that the, 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 the division we had has just won over completely. And that, that revolution is like still being played out. It's, it's gone, you know, about 15 or maybe 10 years ago, it's kind of gone beyond to what I could envision. And it's still like moving ahead full steam. As Mark said, software eats the world. Mm-hmm. So, um, and another interesting thing is uh, when I, oh, I got to tell you, this is the really funny part of the story. So when we came here, so we were, you know, six geeky guys. And what we would do every once in a while to take a break from work was go to a really fancy restaurant and eat. And the funny part is every time we would show up at a fancy restaurant, they would put us like at the worst table. Because we were six geeky guys that didn't look good. And, you know, wearing Kansas University shirts or something. And um, it would be next to the bathroom. Sometimes I think we went to Lulu's. And they even, they like, when we walk in, they kind of look at us like, who are you people? And then they would open up a whole new dining room and put us in there alone. So, uh, and we used to call this the Netscape table. So every time we would go to the restaurant, they would be like, hey, are we going to get the Netscape table again? It was always like the one farthest away that nobody wants to look at. So that's what it was like in 94. And now it's like 2014, and the whole geek internet culture has completely taken over San Francisco. I mean, the startup I'm working with right now, they're like on Maiden Lane which is downtown Union Square where all San Francisco used to be, which is just crazy. So it has like completely and utterly won. So, of course, now I'm, 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 I'm always, uh, I, 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 as I said, I'm not used to be the winner, so I'm always like, oh, this can't be good. <laughs> People are in it for the wrong reason. Why are they all acting so geeky and stuff? You don't, you don't trust it. Exactly. So to you, the, the thing that, that blows your mind 20 years on is that the, the geeks have taken over. Well, I don't know if it's true everywhere, but it's definitely here in the Valley. It seems to be that way. I, maybe I'm living in a bubble, but it is that. Yeah, the, 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 our inside jokes are no longer geek inside jokes. It's just popular culture. Yeah, it's crazy. And you can go to the restaurant in your geeky outfit and you'll be treated well. And even the women don't run away from you. <laughs> yeah. So, but... To me, it's like, frankly, mind-blowing. I know they're even talking about the inclusion of women. I mean, I think it's awesome that the women doing computer science, mm-hmm. where I come from, like, women wanted nothing to do with us. 
like on a grand scale. Just we were just not interesting. So anyway, it's just funny. Well, so hopefully the idea is, is there's some 14 year old coder out there listening right now, and she is uh, she's <laughs> she's going to oh, be happy I know, that, that. I, know. I think it. I, I mean, I I wish it was like this when I grew up, but as I said back then, just women just <laughs> it was just not. I mean, not just women, but like anybody sane would not go into that field. Right. Well, right. That's interesting. Like, if you could look back uh, at, at yourself when you were 25 and you're doing all this stuff, could you do it now? If you if you had to go back and, and do it over again, like, could could you do the hours? Could you do the intensity? You know, I'm actually a very serious family man right now. I mean, I have three kids. I adore them. It's actually funny. Most of these early engineers at Netscape all ended up being these like family guys that spent a lot of their time with the kids. Anyway, so for that reason, I would not do it right now. But ask me in two years, when you know I'm done changing my last diaper <laughs> in a heartbeat with the right I, with the right idea. Yes, I could have. You know, I just loved it. It was really cool. It, it was a great feeling. Well, Alex, uh, congratulations on 20 years. <laughs> oh, thank you. I know. It makes me feel like a fossil. No, but... no, hopefully not. <laughs> if, 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 if all this stuff is ancient history, then believe me, we're all old at this point. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, well, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's funny. I don't, I don't think about this stuff all that much. But, it, you know, it's funny. Every time I do think about it, like, seriously, it'll, it'll raise the hair at the back of my neck. Out of uh, fond, fondness or? No, it's just, it was, you know, I'm not religious, but that, that was the closest I've ever got into the religious feeling almost. It was like, it was just, it was, we were just one with the idea. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.